0: I know you enjoy these CEO stories as much as I've enjoyed recording them. So thank you for listening today. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm looking forward to you joining me on the next great middle market CEO adventure into the corner office. Today, my guest is TJ Jang, co-founder and CEO of AppPoint. APPoint was founded back in 2001, and T.J. has served as the organization's chief executive officer since 2005. A recipient of Ernst & Young's Entrepreneur of the Year Award in New Jersey in 2010, T.J. received both Bachelor of Science and Master's in Electrical and Computer Engineering from Cornell University. He also achieved a Master of Philosophy and Ph.D. in Data Mining from Department of Information Systems, Operations Management and Statistics, from the Stern School of Business at New York University. TJ Jiang, welcome into the corner office. Thank you, it's good to be here, Brad. Oh, great to have you here. We spoke about a month or so ago, the weather's got a little colder, but not a whole lot of snow and uh, hope you're keeping warm wherever you are today. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's pretty cold in New Jersey right now, but uh, all good.
0: All good. Yeah, we had a little dusting the other day. I went into the city on Wednesday, saw a little concert at Connergy Hall. And uh, nice to have a little bit of snow. But uh, once the big snow calms down, I head to the West Coast. But <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> at any rate, yeah. I'd love to hear a little bit about your upbringing. Tell us, uh, you know, kind of start at the beginning. Where What your early fi- family life was like? Where'd you grow up? And, you know, what did mom and dad do?
1: Yeah. Um, so my, my parents are uh, researchers. They're research yeah. scientists. Um, they are the first. They were the, one of the first batch of exchange scientists that came to America back in the uh, mid 80s. Wow. Cool. Um, so my father ended up working at a Naval Hospital. Uh, now is Walter Reed. Yeah. And my mother worked at a National Institute of Health. Uh, wow, NIH, yeah. was in AIDS research. My father yeah. was in cancer and then protein research. Wow. So I came to America from Beijing um, at 11 years old in 86. Uh,
0: so did they come uh, over as researchers? I mean, were they in their 20s and still studying, or had they actually been um, hired in at that, at that level, when they immigrated,
1: they hired in as, uh, exchange scientists. So they oh, came in the as English. researchers, uh, in their, um, yeah, in their forties. Uh, yeah, their 40s. <laughs> yeah <cool. laughs> Um, it's, uh, you know, they, they, they they went through the whole cultural revolution thing and, uh, yeah. they learn English while, uh, you know, my, my father was, was all the university kids and all the intellectuals quote unquote, were sent to countryside for, uh, education, right, right. In, during cultural Revolution. So my father worked in coal Or mine.
0: retraining. Was it retraining? Yeah, retraining. <laughs> so he worked right, in a right. coal
1: mine for several years, and, oh and that was quite an experience because you know how uh, the safety standards of uh, oh, the coal nice. mines back then, oh, uh, but luckily because they were both medical school graduates from Beijing University Medical School and one of the best in the country, um, they were able to then become doctors uh, and, and look at patients and take care oh, of the coal nice. miners. Um, during much of that time and they were only allowed to learn um, Russian (laughs) Uh, in the 60s uh, late 60s early 70s and but they they were uh, you know had the foresight to always uh, keep an eye on and learn English on the side and listen to um, you know BBC and those uh, those broadcasts um, and uh, yeah and be able to test very well and uh, on language proficiency, and came to America as research uh, exchange scientists.
0: Fantastic. So that, uh,
1: I, you know, my success is very much derived on the shoulder of giants, uh, yeah. who are my parents. yeah. <laughs> Brothers
0: and sisters, T.J.? Uh,
1: I have an older, sister, older uh, sister, five years older than me. Okay. Uh, I, oh, so I, she
0: was already in her late teens then, yeah? 16, 17. Yeah.
1: So this is the thing, right? Back in the, even in the, uh, this is the 80, my father came here at 85, right. me and my mother came here eighty-six. 86. Um, the you know the u.s uh, embassy wouldn't give uh, my sister a visa so she stayed behind as a teenager oh, really? uh, and oh. started college uh, there yeah. and then subsequently she came here um uh, she married an american dentist and became a dentist herself um, i couldn't be more proud of her she's mm-hmm. now in the national guard Oh. Um, she she, she's a dentist in maryland and uh yeah and in the best shape of her life because uh, you know national guards have uh, <laughs> big <laughs>
0: training, training requirements and training, right and <laughs> training, and <office laughs>
1: training and she's trying to become a colonel so it's awesome I, oh, i'm it's very, great. very proud of my sister well
0: <laughs> you came over at 11 so you must have some yeah. memories growing up in china what, what part of china were you in when you were raised
1: so beijing in um, beijing okay. so I, I was actually born uh Chengdu, uh, so, uh, part of sichuan the, the capital sure. mm-hmm. and uh, i grew up with my grandparents uh, okay. because my at that point my my uh, parents were the first batch of Uh, Graduate students to return to school and uh, get a graduate degree after Cultural Revolution. So we end up, you know, me and six other cousins, including my sister, all uh, grew up in a one-bedroom little apartment uh, under the care of my grandparents, my mother's uh, parents, parents, over there. But uh, yeah. you know, quickly my, my parents uh, graduated and then they, they, they got teaching jobs and research jobs at the Beijing University. So we, I moved to uh, Beijing and started my first grade education yeah. uh, in a local school that's attached to essentially the university. So all the kids right. are university uh, researcher and teacher's kids. Um, yeah. So I did fifth grade there and came to America in 86 and started sixth grade uh, in Bethesda, Maryland.
0: Now, Radical did you speak elementary. any English at all? Did you do you have any English no, studies? before? at that more?
1: point, oh, um, you know, <laughs> yeah. they, they didn't teach English in right. uh, elementary school. So I, 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 I didn't even know ABC.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: wow. It was really, really tough, I think, uh, because I was hard. top of my class uh, in, in elementary school in China. I was always yeah. a good student. And then I came to America uh, knowing nothing no, about the language and uh, obviously massive culture shock. Um, It was the toughest time, I think, uh, in my (laughs) uh, younger years to uh, learn English uh, and and try to be, uh, you know, earn my marks in school because- Well, how did you do
0: that? Did you get some special (laughs) tutors? Did you just kind of throw you into the end of the pool and and, and swim to the best of your ability? I mean,
1: Uh, Mm -hmm. you know, even though my parents are, research scientists uh, but as you know in bio research in NIH and Naval Hospital you, you get paid uh, pretty low salaries yeah, right um right. but luckily uh, I stayed in we you know Bethesda Maryland um so it's all about location right we, we we stayed you know shared the very small house with uh, two other families also research scientists right. it's kind of a community um, but I had the fortune of, uh, be located in, uh, Bethesda, Maryland, which is one of the best neighborhoods in, uh, in America. Yeah. <laughs> um, most of the diplomats and their diplomatic corps from different countries, they live in those neighborhoods right. because of Washington DC. So I end up going to public school and went to the English as a second language ESO class with oh, okay. uh, some of the diplomatic corps kits. And yeah. so some of my best friends are, for example, you know, uh, Kids from the uh, the Korean uh, diplomatic right. corp, or Argentinian, or Indonesian. So yeah. we had a lot of fun. We all learning English together and bonded, and uh, had lifelong relations. Uh, and that was uh, one of the best thing about growing up um, in Maryland,
0: That's and awesome. Bethesda, Maryland. Yeah. How long did it take you to get back to straight A's in elementary, or middle school? <laughs> a year or two crazy. at best, I imagine, yeah, that's
1: right? A quick question. So <laughs> I, um, <laughs> I I start sixth grade and it was really tough. And uh, starting uh, in the middle school, I, I worked through that. And then starting ninth grade, I, I got into all honors. Wow. I took all the P, uh, the AP classes my school has to offer. I went to Walt Whitman High School. Middle school is pile and Whitman is uh, at the time and still is today one of the best uh, public. Uh, Uh, high school in the country
0: um
1: and yeah i I was part of the wrestling team i was part of the uh, chemistry club physics club um chess club computer club you know typical geek the only thing non-geek about it was i I played saxophone in the orchestra and jazz band and i i did wrestle uh, you know for four years
0: (laughs) (laughs) i love it great any other outside activities you had time for Um,
1: another thing funny thing is uh because my 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 parents are you know they they don't make great income uh and uh, i i felt so embarrassed the first time i went to a yard sale when i came Mm. to america because uh, they took me to a yard sale to buy clothes for me and i i learned that it was my new classmates uh, family were having that yard sale. Got so the, my, my, the, the girl in the class was giggling because, uh, you know, my mother was trying to buy clothes for me that belonged to her older brother. Old brother so yeah. I was so embarrassed. Mm-hmm. I promised myself that I would never go to a single yard sale in my life. <laughs> I, I, I got a job right away. Uh, so I started delivering newspapers all year round. I rake leaves in the fall, mow lawns in the uh, summer, and uh, shovel snow in the winter. Wow. So I started working ever since I was 12 years old. Uh, I never asked a dollar from my parents. All my clothes, all my stuff, I bought myself. Wow. And um, yeah, and went to college. I borrowed some money from my parents and between student loans, grants, and some money. I went to college. The first thing I did after uh, Cornell, got the job and pay off my parents and bought my own car.
0: Good for you. (laughs) Fantastic. Well, you know, sometimes it's those experiences that really do form us, don't they?
1: absolutely i think uh, you're going through that 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 just uh think instills since young that entrepreneurial spirit um i i would not have it any different um and also when you're that young you know brand you you don't realize you don't think it's hardship it's just something you deal with right Sure. And, and you just do it. And, and, you know, I had a lot of fun doing it. You know, um, I think uh, I, I enjoy freedom, you know, I, the, nothing beats, you know, mowing lawn for somebody can make 20 bucks. And at the same time, you listen to your Walkman, you know, listen to Michael Jackson <laughs> and Janet Jackson. It was, it was the best time of the summer. Uh, That's I think, great. Those are great. great I year. love it. I love yeah.
0: it. Fantastic. And so, um, you know, you've t- obviously touched on some of your entrepreneurial activities. It sounded, sounded like you certainly had a, uh, you know, some, some skills that way. Where do you think you kind of picked that up? Is that something that you learned on your own? Was it something that you, you know, kind of uh, learned from others? I mean, you, obviously didn't come from that environment. Your, your parents were teachers and, you know, research scientists and so forth. And, you know, how, how did you kind of come across that entrepreneurial, uh, DNA, so to speak?
1: Well, I think since young, because, uh, I, I hated asking my parents, you know, I never wanted to ask them for money. So I just right. worked, um, so that, uh, I, I the got the taste of making my own, uh, you know, keep. And, yeah. uh, since then I'm always good at, making money right Uh, to to make it by the same time because that um, my parents are researcher, they had quite quite high high expectation and I had a high expectation myself. So I always make sure that I go to the good schools get good grades and then went to big companies. My first job out of Cornell was uh, loose and Bell labs at that time in uh, early 97. It was the most commonly held stock in America. Yeah. uh they just spun off from AT&T they retained the crown jewel of AT&T which is Lucent Bell Labs and you know i i went there and i quickly realized it's just like another telco um yeah. and then i switched over to wall street and wall street it's very exciting it's thrilling it's long hours but you make great money and i think all through that process I, i've been learning um yeah. and yeah. i had the fortune of uh uh, made a lifelong friend at Lucent, who then became my mentor, my co-founder at that point, Kai Gong. Um, and, you know, we started this business together after 9-11. 9-11 is a life-changing event for all of us. Yeah. And uh, my office at Lehman Brothers, 40th floor, North Tower. Um, wow. And everyone on my floor uh, made it. So, uh, you know, that's a life-changing event for me. I went yeah. to, decided to go to grad school, NYU, to do business school first at Stern and then switch over to doctorate in data mining and machine learning. And Kai was laid off like most people at Lucent back then uh, with a burst of internet
0: yeah. uh, bubble 2003. at that time. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, um, you know, so, so we, I was in grad school. Kai was doing this. He asked me to join him. I started that and we just kept learning. It, for me, it wasn't so much about, uh, entrepreneurship in the beginning, it was really yeah. just- Survival. The survival and the something different. Um, yeah, yeah. And not having
0: to wear someone else's clothes, right? Exactly. I mean, that's a pretty basic exactly. thing. Yeah, one well, of the uh, things
1: I learned at Wall Street was, um, the first time I got the Wall Street job working for Deutsche Bank, <clears throat> that was World Trade Center five at the time, Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, when I first came to America, I was a little kid. And when I went to New York City, I was just absolutely in awe, right? You look at the sky, skyscrapers, it's right. like they touch the sky.
0: Yeah. And as
1: a kid, you have to crank your neck and your head to see it. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: And I, I was just in to- total amazement. And then here I am working in World Trade Center. And I was just so, you know, smug and so happy with myself. And like i made it you know from an immigrant nobody and now i'm working on wall street writing trading system for deutsche bank and then i remember very vividly my boss at the time say well you know the janitor in this building also working world trade center um mm,
0: <laughs> so right. from that
1: point on <laughs> i mean again no disrespect uh, to too, the janitors, but from that point on, I, I just, you know, it's all about what I do, my passion. It doesn't matter where I work. Um, <laughs> so that was uh, one of the key lessons I took away from that. So I think throughout the uh, years, I have different mentors and different experiences that directed me this way. There isn't a singular thing that would say, hey, I want to do be a, a business person and create my own business. Right. I have always been a technical person, writing code, be a yeah. geek and pursue my passion. And in the early days, at that point, it's really about providing value to our customers, and you know, making them their job easier, right, with data management things, solving their problems that bring joy to us, and we make a little money on the side, and that's how things started. It wasn't a grand plan of, hey, I want to be a CEO of a public company someday. Right. That right. never crossed right. my mind in those early yeah. days. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Well, I want to get to half point, but I, a couple of things I want to, you know, cover up early on. You went to Cornell, great school, decided to, you know, study, you know, mechanical engineering and then on to NYU. Got it. Got it. What what <laughs> made you choose Cornell? Tell us a little bit about the, you know, the, the thought process around going there.
1: Yeah. So I, I, um, I applied to a bunch of engineering school because again, I I was uh, decent at math and and physics. And I thought uh, and I love computer programming, I thought the best um, kind of uh, integrated degree would be electrical computer engineering, because you Mm. do a bit of hardware and software. And uh, Cornell has a great program. I also applied to john Hopkins and Northwestern got waste way listed MIT a little, you know, sad about it, because uh, because at that time, I was in a um, Uh, a citizen or a uh, green card yet Um, i applied as international student obviously the competition is even more fierce among international applicants
0: um
1: so so yeah so i i you know i i went also to visit campus um fell in love with ethica uh it's a beautiful place uh, not realizing later that it's also the biggest pressure cooker and highest suicide rate in Ivy Leagues. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, well, those, those
0: winters get pretty cold up there. I'm sure that's got something to do with it. <laughs> you know, Cornell and Ithaca is
1: a much beautiful place when you uh, don't have to deal with exams and midterms and finals. <laughs>
0: right, right. And
1: late labs. Uh, but uh, no, I, I really like the environment. Um, so I decided to, yeah, go to Cornell. And uh, ECE is also the the, the highest churn Program in the engineering school because just right. a lot of pressure, but yeah, I have so so much fun and uh, great friendship that I formed there with a lot of folks from all over the world, including a lot of scholar from Singapore. Um yeah it's it's uh I, I enjoy my experience there but at the same time it is a hard program and uh um you know those winters get very cold brand like, you
0: know, <laughs> Indeed my uh, youngest daughter went to, Dartmouth, to Dartmouth, Dartmouth so I know big they're big rival they're schools yeah. and uh then up to there she was an athlete as well so went to Cornell very awesome lovely place you know great place to school go to school but those winters do get very cold no oh, question I
1: about it I have so much respect for a, uh, co- college athletes um you know, the amount of dedication and time it takes to, to, to keep up with the sport. And then same time, you have to keep up your grades. That's right. Those yeah. top-tier schools is not easy to do.
0: <laughs> no. And then you went on to NYU. Now, I think you got a couple years of work experience first, right? You went to that's Lucent. Right. And then did you yep. go to Wall Street before you came back for your, um, yes, your uh, answers? Right. Okay. So
1: I went to Lucent for a couple years, um, so 17, 18, um, and then halfway through uh, uh night uh 2000 uh sorry, 1999 wow <laughs> it's a right. long time ago yeah. so yeah i i started lucent uh january essentially 2001 uh, 1997 my goodness um and then yeah because of the telco i i felt that you know it's not as uh exciting of a place so i went to wall street became a um, fixed income program trading coder at deutsche bank um okay. uh, in uh late 98 um yeah. and then uh my my um, md really liked my work and when he went over transfer over to lehman i uh i went with him um and uh, that was uh, uh equities uh, um, program equities desk doing program right. trading Right. Uh, Deutsche right. was bond analytics uh, for the fixed income. So yeah, yeah. so I was at uh, Lehman. I was uh, doing really well um, and, and really just focused on high frequency uh, type of uh, transaction uh, systems, uh, support the trading desk uh, because my my system was used by them. And then 9-11 happened um, yeah. and that completely changed my
0: worldview. Yeah, yeah. How so? Tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, so when 9-11 happened, uh, firstly, the the, the story um, that that really resonated with me is uh, at the time, there's another uh, uh, coder that joined our team uh, just for less than a week. And uh, he was telling me he got a competing offer from Cantor Fitzgerald Mm. in the same building Mm. uh, above 80-plus floor. And the hiring manager walked him across the entire floor and showed him the view and say, Hey, we have the best view in all of Manhattan. Mm. And this guy, he always goes to work at eight o'clock. I always go to work, uh, before (laughs) nine o'clock. Um, and he made the faithful decision to join Lehman instead of Cantor. Mm. And for most of you, listeners, you understand that anybody above 80th floor on that day in World Trade Center one did not make it out. So it's that you know that kind of faithful decision that just changes your entire trajectory Yeah. yeah. so for me that was now, uh, were you
0: in the building that day
1: i was just trying to cross from the exchange yeah. place right across the river right. um, i when i got there i already saw it's around eight thirty. i saw the first tower yeah. um, have smoke bellowing out from the new jersey side looking that way because the plane Slam into the east side. We're looking from the west side. Right. Uh, you just see see smoke, and this is early, um, and uh, the twin towers are massive buildings. Yeah. So it's everyone really cool. didn't know what happened. People were saying, "Oh, maybe it's it's just one a of the fire." Plastic helicopter yeah. crash into yeah. it. Right. A small you know, plane and just a fire. You know, the funny thing is at that time, all I can think about is go across the river, go to my cubicle, and get all my computer books because all my books <laughs> were there. Um yeah, right. and then I was I was trying to figure out how to cross because path is closed and they shut off the ferry. And then I like several hundred people along the water, including some of my coworker at that point that's trying to cross too, saw the second plane hit the south tower. Yeah, yeah. And it was a clear, cloudless blue sky day.
0: Yeah. yeah. The weird day.
1: thing was it's like a scenery out of the Spielberg movie. Hmm. And none of us recall hearing the sound, hmm. which can be possible. You must, you know, it's such a large explosion. That we right. would hear the sound. I think it was just the visual
0: yeah, it was, was so,
1: so unreal, unreal and shocking.
0: Yeah. yeah,
1: And, and of course, within seconds, the, you hear the F, um, you know, the, the fighter jets, right? Uh, the F-15s were right. flying overhead and all of our pagers were going off, right? Pentagon, Pennsylvania. Yeah. And right. you just felt like we're at war and everyone started to run away from the water. Mm. I grabbed the first cab because I live right along the water so I can just walk back to my place. But I grabbed the first cab available and, and got my coworker in there and got him home home. Um, and as I was walking back to my apartment, because, you know, you see the building on uh, on fire with smoke and I thought mm. that was it. But then as I was walking back, the people that are still facing and watching the tower, I see them crying. Mm. I'm like, what's going on? And I turn around, one of the tower was gone. Yeah. So that was an incredible,
0: Traumatic shocking, experience. humbling, yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, beyond, you know, words experience for anyone that went through that right so so for me uh i decided that you know life is you never know today you're here tomorrow you don't know where you are um i you know i need to change the trajectory of my life i don't need to be working for the biggest company just making good money but then became so specialized all i know is how to code high frequency trading systems
0: um So what did you do? What was your, what was your next step? How did you, I mean, you had to kind of digest it all. It was all a very, very difficult thing for not just Americans, people all over the world, but how did that kind of impact your career path?
1: So first thing I thought about was, Hey, I need to go back to school and become more well-rounded again. You know, when mm. we were in middle school, high school, we were doing everything, right. Doing sports, yeah. doing instruments, learning history, <laughs> you know, right. much more well-rounded than when you're just be a high frequency, you know, trading system coder on wall street. Right. So right. I, I wanted to, to regain that kind of uh, sense of, uh, you know, balance again. So, mm. so first thing I did was applying for Langoon program. Um, um, I actually applied for it right before 9-11, so I, 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 you know, so that's a part-time business program. It's one of the p- best part-time programs in the country. Right. Um, and then after I finished the core, which is the first-year classes, um, I decided to switch over to the full-time doctorate program offered mm-hmm. by Stern in yeah. uh, the information uh, operation and statistics department. They have a really good program uh, in data mining and machine learning. This is before mm-hmm. McKinsey made big data, the term uh, in 2010. Uh, so I, uh, yeah, I decided to enroll in the PhD program.
0: Did you think you'd go and study or go and teach or did you, you know, know that you'd go back to business at the time or, or you weren't really sure?
1: Um, I, I wasn't really sure. That was yeah. actually Brent, one of the hardest decision, hardest decision I had to, to make, um, yeah, yeah. because I was making great money on Wall Street, and all right. of a sudden, you know, you go from that to uh, as a doctor student, you go to no money, really like <laughs> it, right? But New York City is not a cheap city to live in. That's
0: right. Yeah.
1: Um, and luckily for me, because I was one of the lead programmer on the trading system, Lehman still asked me to go back in, you know, one or two days a week on great Wall Street consulting rates. So I was, uh, I was busy, but I was, right. uh, you know, doing well. Um, but I, I, I had no, you know, of course, my parents are academics. Um, my, my father always wished me to go that route. So one path is, hey, do your doctorates and become a professor. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, my friend uh, Kai started this uh, business. He asked me to check it out and uh, initially i was hesitant i i, I did internships at moody's uh, after my qualifying exam uh at the doctor program i did a six-month stint at uh, the quant desk at citadel in chicago right. yeah i tried different things right i yeah. wanted to figure out what i want to do and finally i say okay you know wall street really isn't for me i just you know i i my interest is not to how to compute and uh, try to make a uh, more optimized trading decision Rather, this business that my 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 good friend Kai started—that's interesting, you know, because yeah. everything's new. I have to do marketing, I have to do sales, yeah. I have to call customers, I have to support, I have to do pre-sales. It's because it's just uh, me and him. <laughs>
0: what was the original premise behind AvPoint? What were you what were you trying to meet? What what consumer need were you trying to meet?
1: So both of us are enterprise. Um, technology solution coders right so right. all we knew was b2b we we, we knew nothing about b2c so yeah. we say hey why why don't we do something that uh, we both knew and he knew uh, microsoft exchange very well so he mm. said hey why don't we get into just do backup you know backup for exchange uh even at that point 2001 2002 um that space is pretty crowded but still it's a big space right um so yeah. Kai, uh, he got laid off by Lucent. So he worked at this public uh, library in Summer, uh, Somerville, New Jersey, uh, for two years. Uh, just, I mean, he didn't work there. He just coded there every day. So right. everybody knows him. <laughs> um, yeah. So he just out of pocket, uh, no income, just did that. So he coded this program. I, you know, uh, help him promote it, et cetera. And that back then you have to, you know, distribute and sell things on CDs. And nobody would buy product from, you know, a man and a half in Somerville, New Jersey, on CDs. Uh, So we sold nothing, (laughs) made no money. Uh, At the same time, though, Microsoft released this thing called SharePoint. Um, It used the same backup format um, as Exchange. So we understand the data structure. We say, hey, maybe we just support this thing, even though nobody's using it. At least, you know, there may be a possibility. So we switch over to that. And very quickly, Microsoft released the second version, which is uh, in 2003, mm. um, called SharePoint, um, you know, V2, basically, SharePoint 2003. And we went to their biggest trade show, which is called TechEd in Orlando. We got a little folding table with a, a cloth <laughs> mm-hmm. and just, uh, hey, we, we back up SharePoint. Uh, even then, nobody really paid attention to us at the show. But what really happened to us, the big, you know, to be successful in entrepreneurship, you have to work hard, but you also have to be lucky. So our, our luck came um, in that I, we went to this uh, session. I went to this session. It's the, called a migration workshop. So mm-hmm. Microsoft said, we have a new version of this product. By the way, there's no migration from the previous version because, you know, we hear a lot of feedbacks and most of you don't like the previous version. The <laughs> new ver- previous version is flat file, new version is just SQL, relational database, completely different schema, different metadata, completely different. So, and we couldn't be bothered to just, you know, do a migration path. It's just too hard. Yeah. Um Just don't worry about it. Just use the new version. Of course, their biggest customer and partners, which is HP, Dell, they were upping arms. They were quite upset. Like, hey, we believe in you. We use your first version. You leave us high and dry. Mm -hmm. How do we migrate our user to the second version? So at that time, we didn't have a product, but we I knew we could do it because we knew this data format, the schema for both versions.
0: Right, right.
1: So I stood in the room. I, I raised my hand and said, hey, we, we can migrate you. Come to our booth. And then right away, I <laughs> printed these flyers, posted all over the conference in Orlando. Convention center say, hey, AppPoint has a migration path from 2001 to 2003 version. And everybody came over. Everybody showed
0: up. Oh, man! And
1: even though we didn't have a product yet… <laughs> <laughs> including the Microsoft head of Microsoft SharePoint program, Jeff Teeper, who is actually now a board member at AppPoint. But he, uh, he's also uh, known as a godfather of SharePoint because him and his team developed SharePoint. Right. He's now the global head of SharePoint, OneDrive, as well as Teams. So a very senior individual at, on the research side, engineering right. side at Microsoft. Right. So he came over and said, do you guys have a product? We're like, yeah. So he said, well, come and show me you know, next week in Redmond. And uh, because, you know, they have to see something before they can recommend us. So over the weekend, we coded the product. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I love it. I love it. And then Kai, at this point, he was bootstrapping everything, right? And made no money for two plus years. His wife booked him the cheapest connecting flight from (laughs) Newark to Seattle. (laughs) And he also was so poor that he didn't have a laptop. So he carried his desktop towers with him.
0: Oh, my gosh.
1: And went to Redmond, plug in a monitor, showed it to the team. They're like, oh, wow, okay, it works. So we'll start to uh, – we'll recommend our partners and customer to you.
0: Wow. Wow.
1: And then Jeff's like, hey, by the way, why did you bring a desktop tower here? <laughs> he was so embarrassed about it. He's, he, just, he had to tell a white light. He's like, yeah, my laptop broke. like so <laughs> <laughs> power instead
0: oh goodness but
1: you know that's how it works in the enterprise b2b right it's reputation based yep, it's reference absolutely. based yeah and and uh you and that know, sets you on your way and that set us on our way but you know mm-hmm. we from then on we were known to be the company that always bite off the toughest thing to chew we do mm-hmm. the hardest thing that people don't want to do but also with quality so very quickly we picked up um PSENG, right? We picked up obviously a, a, a Dell, HP, and even I remember, it, uh, you know, SoCOM, um, U.S. Army Special Operations Command, the first really serious government customer we picked up, and and we just never looked back. And we always uh-huh. focused on large enterprise B two B. We expanded from data migration to data backup, archiving, compliance, uh, data privacy, and governance. And then another big break that came for us was in 2010, uh, when Microsoft first started to cloud. And Steve Ballmer was still the CEO. Yeah. And everyone say, "Oh, Microsoft stock hasn't moved for 10 years. Microsoft's done. Uh, Google is the new thing. Uh, you know, they're the king of uh, software." And uh, you know, but we saw that the the cloud thing is real, and Microsoft still yeah. have all these tremendous footprint in enterprise customers. And we say, we got to go to cloud. And also, lucky for us, this thing, SharePoint, that we became the biggest data management provider for mm. is the middleware for all of Microsoft Office Cloud, Office 365. Wow.
0: Wow. So
1: today, if you share any document via email or Teams, internally, externally, if you want to do co-authoring, version control, you have to go through this middleware layer that's called SharePoint. Right. And because... Yeah. We were the biggest globally, and we had to establish footprint globally because SharePoint is only used by biggest companies and governments because mm-hmm. it's big, sophisticated, clunky. Mm-hmm. Um, we had that global footprint. So then we went to cloud early. We went into 2010, head in. We 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 even I remember we went to a, a Microsoft partner conference, uh, uh, and I said we have to figure out as a company how to make money in the new world of a dollar a user
0: a yeah. month. Subscription and this is 2011
1: yeah. people are like how do you make money a dollar a user a month <laughs> when well, we were selling perpetual software right and on a cd at that time right right, right for tens of thousands hundreds of thousand dollars in one go you know but we were early uh we believed in that uh where microsoft's heading and now fast forward to today we're the yeah. largest SaaS and data management platform provider for Microsoft Office 365
0: because we did it earlier. So how many employees today, you and Kai started this back 16 years ago, right? February of 2005. And how many today, uh, how many employees and what's your footprint?
1: Well, we officially incorporated the company back in two thousand one.
0: Okay, okay. <laughs> all right. For
1: three years, we didn't make any money. I, I became the f- I, I became full time two thousand five because by that point, I'm pretty much done with my doctorate. Yeah, um, <laughs> I was half timing right. I was doing school. I was working. Sure. Um, it's kind of like the out of the do- dorm room story, except as right. I was living in my own house. Um, and uh, yeah, now now we have. Um, just uh, under 1700 employees wow. globally in 14 countries 28 offices gosh fantastic. um 45 percent of our revenue is in north america and the rest of it is evenly totally. split between western europe and asia and by asia we talk about tier one uh enterprise software markets that's japan australia new zealand singapore hong kong um yeah we're um we're truly global
0: Fabulous success story. Now, you made the decision to go public. Was that a difficult thing for you guys to do? And, and what year was that again?
1: You know, Brad, the the only regret I have today is that uh, we haven't gone public earlier.
0: <laughs> yeah? Is that so? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, we should have um, gone public back in 2010 uh, when we were already like, you know, a $60 million revenue company. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that's pre-cloud. Uh yeah. Today, we're, we're under 200 million revenue this year, um, and uh, it's all SaaS, right? It's 80% it's software recurring, 20% services. We decided to go public uh, essentially last summer. Uh, the, the impetus behind that is we went through a four years of a long journey called subscription conversion. Yeah. Went from traditional license, you know, perpetual model plus right. uh, yeah. maintenance to a subscription model. For those listener that 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 you know uh, doesn't know the software market that well, it's it's a very big change. Yeah, so the your old sure. model is I sell you a CD, I sell you yeah. a software for hundred bucks. Yeah. But because you're a company, you want to call me for support, you want to get latest software updates, right? We're not like Google, you 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 do something with Gmail and you will never reach a human being for support, right? Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, so 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 then what enterprises would do is they will pay uh, what, what's called a maintenance contract. They would do a three-year contract with you, and on average, it will pay you 20% of the software, right? So 20, 20, 20. So the total contract is $160. The upfront payment is $100 for the software and then $20 for the support for year one. Year two comes around, they pay $20. Year three come around $20. So total $160. That's the traditional model. Right. In the subscription model, especially SaaS, you're getting paid as you consume Right. So that same 160, let's say a three-year contract, uh, becomes essentially you know 160 divided by three, right? right. Uh, so it's like 53 dollars uh, yeah. per per year. So in year one, you said 120 dollars, you get 53 dollars, yeah. and that's a huge cash crunch. Right. When you're as a software company, you have no warehouses, you have no supply chain issue. Your cost is your employees. Right? Same,
0: yeah, right. So that no fix, it's
1: almost like fixed cost. Yeah. So how do you transition from that big cash crunch? Is the biggest challenge all software company go through? Adobe went through that very successfully. Splunk is going through the pain now. It's it's literally like a like a U shaped curve, right, from a revenue cash perspective. We decided to do it on our own without borrowing money. Oh, At that point, Goldman Merchant Banking was our Series B investor similar size revenue companies would borrow 70 million dollars just to do it to alleviate the cash crunch we decided to do it in phases tighten our belt and and just go yeah. go because we're just physically conservative Brent, we built this business with just 60 million dollar primary capital no debt right, right and now we're high growth it just you know so very, the, whole, the
0: whole regret about it, if you gotten it earlier you would have had access to public money you That's could right. have done that conversion That's so right. much faster.
1: Yeah. We could have gotten access to capital. Yeah. We yeah. couldn't right. grow faster. Right. And another thing that I'm learning as a public company CEO is that being a public company forces you to have so much more discipline right. on a much right. faster cadence. That's sure. why, you know, the founder of Typical uh, families said uh, the best companies uh, were born in the crucibles of being a public company. That's right. So every quarter, right? And, and you know, research analysts, uh, institutional investors, they're very, very smart. They have very sophisticated models. And you cannot hide behind one number. They look at every single metrics. It forces you to be so transparent, so honest, and so disciplined with yourself and with the entire business. There's yeah. really no hiding, right? There's no slacking. So I think that's a fantastic discipline to for yeah. any company. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. So anyway, we decided to go last summer because we went through the subscription conversion 18, 1920. Despite COVID, um, even though we didn't increase headcount because of COVID, our revenue continued to grow 30%, right? Uh, year oh. over year. So we just yeah. announced our 11th consecutive record quarter.
0: Congratulations. Um,
1: so all based on no really additional capital. When we did a Series C with Six Street Partners, it's really just to exit our Series B partner. We didn't really have a, uh, new capital. Yeah, right. Um, so so of yeah. we say, hey, this is really interesting. We're growing really well. We have proven this uh, success and predictability and consistency of a subscription business model we're cash generating. Um, and, of course, you know, during last year, also the tech market start to really have good valuations. And right. uh, this digital transformation thing is really well vetted, and Microsoft is just killing it, right? Microsoft yeah. Cloud, the ecosystem, oh, yeah. all and of that. Teams
0: is so much better than Zoom. That's right. <laughs> I know from you experience. You can do so much more, right? Exactly. Beyond exactly. This
1: video call, you can chat, you can share content, you can yeah. do projects. So, so that's where we say, "Hey, we're actually the number one SaaS and data management player in the Microsoft ecosystem." Yeah. And um, you know, let's go leverage capital markets and grow faster because if we continue to constrain ourselves from a capital perspective, we won't grow as fast, but we have a first mover advantage. We have a platform advantage and the market is so big. We, we, we should go after it because every company has only a finite window of opportunity. Right. So that's when we decided to go public. Yeah, and we yeah. actually went the route of traditional IPO to start. We, I put together with my team, a bulge bracket bank syndicate with Goldman Sachs, City. Evercore, and we were going to do the traditional IPO. And, Brian, you remember this time last year, I mean, summer last year, SPAC, right? Special Purpose right. Acquisition yep, <laughs> um, yep. corporations are all the rage. It's something crazy, like 80% of IPOs were done via SPAC.
0: That's right.
1: Um, yeah. Because, you know, bankers call it SPAC technology 3.0, right? <laughs> right, right. I love banker lingo, right? Uh, so, <laughs> so, you know, it's safe, it's good, it's, it's, uh, it's a new way. And so we had to Uh, uh, even for me to uh, have my fiduciary duty to my uh, shareholders and board, I have to check out SPAC as an option. So we talked to a number of them, high-quality sponsors, and we end up uh, finding Apex Technologies. Uh, It's more like they found us. So it it was uh, um, Brad Koenig who made Goldman Sachs Tech Banking, what it is today. His first IPO incidentally was Microsoft. Mm. And then uh, uh, Jeff Epstein, who is the ex-CFO of Oracle, who sits on big, big tech um, public boards like Okta, Twilio. Um, So they both have capital markets and operations experience. So we found them to be fantastic individuals to help us. And secondly, obviously in the, the, the certainty of a SPAC in that there's $350 million in the trust uh, of their SPAC, Apex Technologies. We also, within four weeks, uh, landed Tiger, Franklin Templeton, you know, uh really good um, institutional, traditional IPO investors right. in what's called a pipe process, $140 million, and a certain valuation. And this is already October last year. You remember, this is right before election results. There were no vaccines yet. Yeah. There are a lot of uncertainty in the market. Yeah. So for us to get to that certainty in valuation and certainty to capital, $490 million, was very valuable.
0: Pretty exceptional. Yeah. Well, TJ, we're almost out of time, but I, I want to talk a little bit about leadership and, and get some perspective on that. What's kind of the biggest leadership shift that you've made over these last you know, 16, 20 years you've been running out points?
1: Yeah, leadership—it's—it's uh, it's something that—it's um, a—it's so so important. I have um, e- e- when I first started, I never, you know, first managing people, it's always how oh, I'll just do it for them, you know. Right, I, I want, right. uh, that's not a good thing. I think we have to give people <laughs> um, room to grow. Right. Uh, or uh, at the senior leadership level, give them enough rope to hand themselves, kind of thing. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, give people enough room to uh, to uh, kind of blossom and, and and grow into their role. Uh, so delegation is very important. Yeah. But ultimately, though, uh, I for me at my current stage is all about execution. Yeah. Um, so you know, even the biggest plan on paper, when put in reality, it, you know, it, it's not. Worth anything because it's all about how the market reacts to your strategy, and how you have to execute in real time uh, to a conclusion. So I think mm-hmm. execution, especially for a global company like us, we operate in so many geos, so many languages, so many regulatory climate. Um, mm-hmm. It's you know making sure that we we provide real value to our partners and and customers. Mm-hmm. So focus on execution at the leadership level. It's it's uh, the most critical.
0: Yeah, super juncture. important. Yeah. you've hired a lot of people. You've obviously grown you know tremendously over these last years. what What do you look for when you're making bets on the people you invest in and hire, TJ?
1: We look for people who um, really have big aspirations who who are um, not happy with just uh, a status quo. We want people who who are dreamers
0: mm. uh,
1: who are hungry um who wants to be ceos themselves yeah uh we have for example we're in 14 countries we have country managers who are effectively you know their own, CEO their own business. Their business yeah yeah so the best is you have to empower uh your leadership uh so that they can uh benefit from the growth uh the wealth creation and therefore you know bringing the organization as a whole uh to the next level right. so the people we're looking for are people who who have uh, self-drive, who are not just nine to five corporate employees, who who are actually entrepreneurs in their own rights.
0: Right. Right. Cool. Well, our last question we asked this of all our guests is, you know, what kind of career and life advice would you give someone who, you know, maybe has their eyes on a corner office and and wants to be a CEO themselves someday or, you know, an entrepreneur like you?
1: Yeah, so that's that's a great question. I think um, don't play safe. Pre 9-11, I would say my life was playing safe. Yeah, even though yeah. I was a bit of entrepreneur, I always do work and always uh, good at making money. Right. Um, I always wanted to go to good school, good program, brand name companies. But after even like 9-11, it's, you know, you don't play safe. Life is right. too short. Um, yeah. Do what you're passionate about and go try different things. And if you fail, fail fast forward. And, <laughs> you know, right. it's... Uh, do things that interest you. And we all have to be lifelong learners now in this world we live in. There's no more distinct and concrete set of lives where you just retire and don't do anything, don't do any learning. I think um, it's really, yeah, just don't be afraid and uh, you got nothing to lose. I think there's so much opportunity uh, where we live now. We live in the golden age um, of technology, of uh, economic opportunity. Of course, there's a lot of chaos and volatility but that's where the opportunity comes. So I think, um, yeah, don't hesitate and don't don't have uh, analysis paralysis and, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and just go for it.
0: Yeah, awesome. Well, TJ Jiang, CEO and co-founder of Avpoint, thank you so much for sharing your journey into the corner office.
1: Thank you, Brad. It's such a pleasure.